Hi everyone, my name's Cathy Kelly and I want to welcome you to Freedom Church and our online Sunday service. We're so glad that you've decided to spend the next hour with us. And I hope that as we gather together in this virtual way, that you'll be uplifted and encouraged and challenged as we worship our good God and as we hear his words. And most of all, that we leave this time changed. Last week, my husband, Mark Kelly, spoke to us about unity and today he's going to bring part two of that message. Now, I want to especially welcome you if you're watching for the first time. I don't know where you are on your journey of faith, but wherever you are, it's great that you're connecting with us today. And just so that you know, the order of service for our Sunday looks something like this. We sing a couple of worship songs, we watch some quick notices, and then we have our main sermon. And then after that, if there's time, we'll sing another worship song before ending with a few announcements. So make sure to stick with us until the very end. So we're about to begin. So find a good seat and don't forget to put your phone on silent. And I'm just gonna say a quick prayer. Lord God, thank you that we can come together in this way to worship and adore you. You are so good. And I thank you for each and every person that's watching right now, that you know every heart and every life. Speak to us this morning in a fresh way, in a way that will cause us to act on what we hear so that your kingdom comes and your will is done in us and through us. Amen.
again. Um, good to be with you today. Uh, let me start by uh, reading something from Deuteronomy verse 32 that I was kind of led to uh, as I put this uh, sermon together. And uh, it's basically a, a prayer uh, for what I'm about to bring. And uh, yeah, let's just begin. Deuteronomy 32, I'll take it from the first part. Let my teaching fall like gentle rain. My words arrive like morning dew, like a sprinkling rain on new grass, like spring showers on the garden. For it's in God's name I'm preaching. Respond to the greatness of our God. Amen. Okay, last week we looked at two ways in which the enemy, that is Satan, tries to divide and conquer humanity and how he tries lots of, of, of different ways to uh, divide us and particularly uh, divide the church. This week we're going to look at two more ways in which Satan attempts to divide and conquer. So number three in our short list is encouraging elitism. Encouraging elitism. Okay, now who has heard of Mahatma Gandhi? Probably everyone watching this, right? But just in case you don't know, uh, this is what the uh, Wikipedia entry uh, says about him. Mahatma Gandhi was an Indian lawyer, an anti-colonial nationalist, uh, a political ethicist, who employed non-violent resistance to lead the successful campaign for India's independence from British rule and in turn inspire movements for civil rights and freedom across the world. So, in short, he's a bit of a big deal, particularly in India. Uh, anyway, there's a story about uh, Mahatma Gandhi. Let's get that back to my Bible. There's a story about Mahatma Gandhi in which he became uh, interested in the teachings of Jesus. And he might actually have begun a journey of faith in Christ if it hadn't been for one unfortunate incident. <clears throat> but before I get to that incident, uh, it's important that you, you know something uh, about the caste system in India into which Gandhi uh, was born. Now, the caste system is something vaguely like the class system we have in the UK, but there's one major difference and that is you, you can't aspire to become someone of a, of a different class. And as far as I'm aware, the caste uh, nowadays is outlawed in India, um, but like class over here, it exists at a cultural level. For, for example, in the UK, uh, we know that people shouldn't be judged on their background and their capabilities, but we all probably still place people into either working class, middle class or upper class, probably within moments of meeting them. I've even referred to myself as someone who's from a working class background, but now I identify as someone of middle class. Now, remember what I said a few moments ago about the difference between class and caste. There's no moving from a caste level. If you're born into a certain caste, you stay in that caste. There's nothing you've done to place you in it. You're, you're born into it. And there's nothing you can do to leave it. So 
Coming back to Gandhi then. This, this was the cultural environment in which he lived. And, and, and in fact, one that he struggled with. So when Gandhi heard about these teachings of Jesus and how he turned the whole world system on its head, and we read about Jesus, that he, he talked about the last being the first, uh, the greatest becoming servants. Well, if you're from a caste system, that looks quite attractive and it was, was attractive to Gandhi. Unfortunately, the story goes that he visited a church to find out more about Jesus. But as he approached the door, he's turned away with these words. You can't worship here. You need to worship with your own kind. So what Gandhi found wasn't an answer to the caste system, but actually just another version of it. And in the church. Gandhi's actually got a famous quote attributed to him. It says this, I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. Now, whether he actually said that, that's debatable. Or whether the story I've actually just shared, it might be something like a modern myth. That isn't important. The point of, of telling you this is that that's an example of elitism. And the truth is, elitism has, in some ways, infected the church. And sometimes the truth's uncomfortable. So we can define elitism as an attitude of superiority that lifts some people up while putting some people down. It's a mindset that uses uh, like divisive driven criteria to judge people. But it's a judgment with, with no uh, legitimate basis. And from a Christian worldview, it's, it's quite an unchristlike perspective because it suggests that some people are simply superior over those judged to be inferior. It's, it's a judgment based on race class and culture. Now, if you look at the local church that you're a part of, and, and for a lot of you watching this, that'll be Freedom Church, obviously. But we have got people watching at various times, you know, during the week, not just on a Sunday morning or a Sunday afternoon. Um, so welcome. It's good to have you, have you with me this morning. Let me ask you this question. Does it, your church, or do we practice elitism? Are we, or the church you're a part of, even aware of it? If we took a long, hard and honest look, do we find it? If we even find a, a glimpse of it, then we'll find that, that true unity becomes pretty much impossible because elitism kills unity. And in the Bible, uh, in the book of James, at the beginning of chapter 2, it says in, well, let me get my Bible. It says in the Passion Translation. So let me find it here. Uh, try and find it with me. So James, Passion Translation, it's actually called Jacob as well. Uh, chapter 2, and uh, it says this. My dear brothers and sisters, 
fellow believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. It's right at the beginning, sorry. How could we say that we have faith in him, yet we favor, favor one group of people above another? Let me read that again. James 2, verse 1. My dear brothers and sisters, fellow believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, how could we say that we have faith in him, and yet we favor one group of people over another. How do we rid ourselves of elitism then, if we find it? And I think, I think I answered somewhat, I answered that kind of towards the end of my sermon last week, and I want to humbly submit it to you again, and that is that love is the answer. We rid ourselves of elitism when we truly learn to love others, regardless of, of, of race, culture, or even class. We, we, we rid ourselves of elitism when we put others' needs before our own. So in uh, the same chapter of James, it actually goes on to say this. So from verse 2, okay, you ready? Verse 2, suppose an influential man comes into your worship meeting wearing gold rings and expensive clothing. And also a homeless man in shabby clothes comes in. If you show special attention to the rich man in expensive clothes and say, here's a seat of honour for you right up front, but you uh, turn and say to the poor beggar dressed in rags, you can stand over there or, or sit over there on the floor at the back then you've demonstrated gross prejudice among yourselves and used evil standards of judgment. So, listen carefully, my dear brothers and sisters. Hasn't God chosen the poor in the world's eyes to be those who are rich in faith? And won't they be the heirs of the kingdom realm he promised to those who love him? But yet you insult and shun the poor in your efforts to impress the rich. Isn't it the wealthy who exploit you and drag you into court? Aren't they the very ones who blaspheme the beautiful name of, of the one you now belong to? Your calling is to fulfill the royal law of love as given to us in this scripture. You must love and value your neighbour as you love and value yourself. For keeping this law is the noble way to live. But when you show prejudice, you commit sin and you violate this royal law of love. Let's just reread verse 9. Let's read it maybe a bit slower, just to give us time to let it sink in. When you show prejudice, you commit sin and you violate this royal law of love. Wow. To help us kind of work through this, let's think about this question. 
what ways can you tangibly, uh, that is, uh, do something practically that makes a, a real difference? In what ways can you tangibly love others who are different from you? The bottom line is that Christ-like love is a powerful antidote. So any hint of elitism, and it goes a long way in defeating Satan's plan to divide and conquer. Okay, finally, number four on our list. Satan tries to divide and conquer by using fear. More specifically, the fear of the other. The fear of the other. Now, this two-part series, it's a response, isn't it, to uh, the racial inequalities that have come to the fore as the world, at least the Western world, responds to the, the tragic death of George Floyd and actually what it represents in a, in a, in a wider context. Fear and, and fear of the other in particular, it, well, it's a powerful force that, that drives us to want to overcome that fear by trapping the other in a, a systematic cycle of repression. But who is this other to, that I'm referring to? I, I could just be referring to uh, people of colour or any ethnic type, and to a large degree, yes, I am. But really, when we're talking about fear of the other, we're talking about the fear that comes from not understanding another culture. A fear that says loudly in our minds that the, the other is different from us and isn't to be trusted. I remember back in the early noughties, so soon after getting engaged to, to Kathy, uh, we were invited around to have a meal as a couple to a married couple's home. And they were, in fact, the first people in the church, because I hadn't been a Christian for that long. Uh, they were the first people in the church to reach out to us uh, as recently uh, as a recently engaged couple and, and ask us to dinner. And um, I recall asking Kathy uh, loads of times, why are they doing this? I don't know them. You don't know them well. Why would they do such a thing for us? What if we don't have anything in common? What will we talk about? And the thing was obviously really important to me. What will we have to eat? So many questions. But, but I, I just wasn't used to people doing this for me. I didn't grow up in a culture where people just did things for strangers because they wanted to be nice and they wanted to get to know you. To a degree, I was, I was suspicious of their intentions and I went along with, with a little trepidation and a fear of the other. Now, to put your minds at ease with that little example, uh, those people have gone on to be, uh, well, really dear people to us and and our closest friends. Uh, our children have grown up with theirs, and, and as a family, we're definitely richer uh, for knowing them. And you'll know who you are, because I know you'll be watching this. And all because we were invited around for dinner. Now, the power of eating, 
<laughs> together shouldn't be underestimated. Uh, being in someone's home and, and eating with them it breaks down barriers. Maybe it's because you're in, in their environment. Uh, you're at the mercy of what they they have to offer. And, and if you're, you're willing to engage, there's so much to be gained simply by spending time with people in their world. I hope that you see what I'm hinting at. Jesus knew the power of eating together. Uh, throughout the New Testament, he, he seems to be always asking people to eat with him. On, on a number of occasions, he compelled them to invite him in. He, he, he actively seeks out the other, and often the other is someone that, that society has deemed unworthy, unclean, or despised, either for what they do or simply for who they are. Now, Jesus was, was so sure of who he was and his mission and so compelled with love for people that fear didn't have a part to play in how he related to others. Now, there's an example in the Bible, uh, in the book of Acts, in chapter 10. Let me, let me go to it. You might want to go to it as well. So uh, Acts chapter 10, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. Acts and Romans follow on. There you go. Um, and and it's it's where uh, the Apostle Peter, he falls into a trance and he's, he's spiritually taken to another place. And let's read together from verse 9. Let's read together from verse 9. Peter went up to uh, the flat roof of the house to pray. He was hungry and wanted to eat. But while lunch was being prepared, he fell into a trance and entered another realm. And as the uh, heavenly realm opened, he saw something resembling a large linen tablecloth that descended from above, being let down to the earth by its four corners. And as it floated down, he saw that it held many kinds of four-footed animals, uh, reptiles and wild birds. And a voice said to him, Peter, uh, go and prepare them to be eaten. Peter replied, there's no way I could do that, Lord, for I've never eaten anything forbidden or impure according to our Jewish laws. And the voice spoke again, nothing is unclean if God declares it to be clean. The vision was repeated three times and then suddenly the linen sheet was snatched up back into heaven. Peter was so stunned by the vision that he couldn't stop wondering about what it all meant. And let's move on to uh, verse 19. As Peter was in deep thought trying to interpret the vision, the Spirit said to him, go downstairs now for three men are looking for you. Don't hesitate to go with them because I have sent them. We just pause there. <clears throat> Peter meets the men. Uh, they explain that they're there by order of, of Cornelius, uh, a Roman captain, who'd been given a vision of an angel who told him to go and summon Peter to his home. Uh, when Peter arrives at Cornelius's home, the story tells us that Cornelius tries to worship 
Peter. And Peter tells him to stand, saying that he's no different to him. Peter's vision and his interpretation of it has led Peter to taking what is a radical step. So let's read on from verse 27. Okay, they talked together and then they went inside. So Peter and Cornelius talked together, then they went inside where Peter found a large gathering waiting to hear his words. And Peter said to them, you all know that it's against the Jewish laws for me to associate with or even visit the home of one who is not a Jew. Yet God has shown me that I should never view anyone as inferior or ritually unclean. So when you sent for me, I came without objection. Now, may I ask why you sent me? And Cornelius replied, Four days ago, I was fasting and praying here in my home at this very hour, three o'clock in the afternoon, when a man in glistening clothing suddenly appeared in front of my eyes. And he said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayers. Your generosity to the poor has been recorded and remembered in God's presence. Stick a pin in that. However, you must send for a man named Simon the Rock who is staying in uh, Joppa as a guest of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So immediately I sent my men to uh, bring you here and you were kind enough to come. And now here we are, all of us in God's presence, anxious to hear the message that God has put on your heart to share with us. And Peter said, now I know for certain that God doesn't show favoritism with people, but treats everyone on the same basis. It makes no difference what race of people one belongs to. If they show deep reverence for God and are committed to doing what's right, they are acceptable before him. Long bit of scripture, but oh my goodness, so much in it. We have got an example here of, of someone overcoming prejudice, elitism and fear of the other to come to their table and, and eat with them. But not only that, the Roman soldier has he's prepared a situation where they also want to hear and learn from him, a Jew. And that's rare. But it says that a large gathering were waiting to hear his words. So you've got a Jew and a Gentile. A Gentile simply means someone who's not Jewish. They're, they're eating together. They're sharing understanding and learning from one another. Wow. Where are you overcoming your fear of the other so that you might hear their words. You might not even be aware of your bias, which is underpinning your fear. And we, we all suffer from an unconscious bias where we only attract those around us. We only attract those around us, those who are like us. It takes an effort to move into a place where we feel vulnerable 
where our inner voice is shouting at us to, to not go, not be a part, stick to what we know and what we trust. Because those who we really trust are just like us. We might not think of ourselves as racist, but we all carry prejudice in our hearts and minds. And as, as I hope we've seen today, this comes down to, to pride, which forms a huge part of elitism and fear. However, let me stress again that love is what destroys the stronghold of these things in our lives. Um, in 1 John 4 verse 18 from the message, it says, There is no room uh, in love for fear. Well-formed love banishes fear and in 21 uh, verse 21 of the same chapter it says loving God includes loving people you've got to love both and I I don't think it can be said any clearer than that and and in that unity can truly flourish there's there's strength in unity there's power in unity. Unity glorifies God like, like nothing else. The Gospel of John uh, actually records the longest prayer that Jesus prayed recorded in the Bible. And the main issue of, of the prayer is that all believers in all times become unified. Unity is so important to Jesus and therefore should be so important to us. And, and, and we, we must work together across racial, cultural, social and, and economic uh, boundaries to, to spread the love and hope of Jesus to a world that so desperately needs to hear it. I'd like us to take just a few moments now to, to pray for unity in, in, in loads of areas of our lives, like our personal life, uh, our family and, and wider family, our community and our church. And then after after we've done that, just for a few moments, to give you opportunity to pray, whether it's out loud or, or, or just in your heart, uh, I'm going to read that prayer from Jesus and I'll finish with that. But just take a moment now. Okay. Let me read. I pray that they will experience and enter into my joyous delight in you so that it is fulfilled in them and overflows. I have given them your message and that is why the unbelieving world hates them. For their allegiance is no longer to this world because I am not of this world. I am not asking that you remove them from the world but I ask that you guard their hearts from evil, for they no longer belong to this world any more than I do. Your word is truth, so make them holy by the truth. I have commissioned them to represent me just as you commissioned me to represent you. And now I dedicate myself to them as a holy sacrifice so that they will live as fully dedicated to God and be made holy by your truth. And I ask not only for these disciples, 
but also for all those who will one day believe in me through their message. I pray for them all to be joined together as one, even as you and I, Father, are joined together as one. I pray for them to become one with us, so that the world will recognise that you sent me. For the very glory you have given to me, I have given them, so that they will be joined together as one and experience the same unity that we enjoy. You live fully in me, and now I live fully in them, so that they will experience perfect unity, and the world will be convinced that you have sent me, for they will see that you love each one of them with the same passionate love that you have for me. Father, I ask that you allow everyone that you have given to me to be with me where I am. Then they will see my full glory, the very splendour you have placed upon me, because you have loved me even before the beginning of time.
our time together today is almost over, but don't worry because there are more opportunities to get together this week. I hope that you're able to make a note of the various things we are doing via Zoom calls during lockdown, such as prayer and Bible study and our youth gathering. For Freedom Church members who are part of a triplet, why not get together just for 30 minutes this week? And speaking of 30 minutes, every Sunday we host a Freedom Church Hangout session via Zoom. That's at 12.15 and the meeting ID number will show up near the end of this broadcast. So how about jumping on for five minutes or 15 or the full 30? It'll be good to say hello to each other and have a catch up and maybe even find out about how you found today's service. If you're watching this on YouTube, please like this video and subscribe to the channel and click the notification bell. The more people that do this, the more folks who need to hear today's message might get it presented to them by YouTube's algorithms. And if you're watching this on Facebook, please like the video and we'd love you to like our Facebook page as well. For both platforms, why not share the links on your social media feeds? Please consider giving to Freedom Church today. The details on how to do this are just coming up. And one last thing, if you've connected with us today and have watched all the way to the end, there's a good chance you might want to know more about us. And if that's the case, we would love you to contact us by emailing hello at myfreedom.church and visit our website, myfreedom.church. Well, bless you all. I pray that you have a great and really fruitful week and I'll see you again soon.